0: Hello, and welcome to The Regrettable Century. I'm Chris. I'm Jason. I'm Jenny. And today we have with us a special guest. Say hello, Annalise. Hello. But yes, today we're going to be sort of revisiting the topic of fully automated luxury communism. But not just fully automated, automated luxury communism. We kind of wanted to talk about, you know, what we think some other visions of the future maybe better and more realistic and more desirable visions of the future might be. Okay. So, um, last time when we talked about, uh, fully automated luxury communism, we framed the discussion around the book by Aaron Bastani that, uh, a lot of us, a lot of us, some of us, not as much as the others took issue with, um, and you'll notice that person's not here today. <laughs> well, I, I have a sneaky suspicion that Kevin bowed out because he's a secret Falk lover.
1: And I think
0: that that's going to go on the record yeah, since he's not here to defend himself. And there's yeah, nothing you can I'm, do about it.
1: I'm adding it to his permanent record right now.
0: Okay, so Annalise is here as uh, you know a friend of the show who listened and uh, had some things she wanted to talk about. And, uh, she, she actually wrote some stuff down. So Annalise, why don't you, uh, get us started by sharing maybe one of the things that you were thinking about.
2: So one of the things I wanted to talk about was about, um, leisure time. Uh, You guys talked about it obviously in the other one. Um, and y'all just talked about different perspectives on leisure time and how you guys would like to spend it. Chris, you were talking about, um, one of the source materials, I don't remember which one, but about, you know, um, spending time in community with your neighbors and, you know, getting to know the people who live around you and spending your time cooking together and playing games and interacting with your community versus communist Netflix um, as another way to spend leisure time. Um, And so I just wanted to talk about like how we like define that and how We think that if we, what you guys think about how our idea of leisure time may change in a different society, um, capitalism removed, um, like, do you think that uh, we have a different perspective on what it means to unwind or relax when we're not constantly trying to numb ourselves from the reality of life? Um, We hope to have more time to be creative under communism, but what would we be creating Specifically under Falk, um, when our every need is met already, whenever our robots are bringing us our hamburgers while we're playing video games, what is there to create?
0: Yes. When I think of leisure time, I think of the advent of what was leisure time when, say, like in the Renaissance, when the petty bourgeoisie, the, you know, the, the artisan classes... Their, the economy created by these classes and and the economy started to grow in a fashion that it provided them with the ability to hire other people to do their work for them and to start you know gathering a profit off of that that gave them leisure time previously leisure time was afforded to uh you know the aristocracy and the, whoever the aristocracy sponsored so like you know like Michelangelo and you know, all the Ninja Turtles, Leonardo Donatello, um, they were all, they all had patrons and that's how they were able to get the leisure time to be able to create great works of art. So, you know, in, in the the Renaissance and the early modern period, leisure time started to become available to the middling classes, the bourgeoisie. And that's when the, they started thinking for themselves and writing treatises about humanism and ideas about democracy started to, to come into the into the minds of common people. And, uh, you know, that's, they started having salons and conversations in coffee shops and stuff like that. And I think of that leisure time, the leisure time that if all of a sudden, uh, us as a productive class, we were given say, you know, patronage by like, I don't know, like the state, you know, to be able to have our needs met and to just create, what would we do? Like if, if we had, all of a sudden the some sort of like universal basic coverage of all of our needs what would we do like right now in capitalist society what would we do and i think that what i would do is i would finish my degree mm-hmm. you know and i i think that that's what i think that that's what people like me would do is we would just expand our knowledge base and try to like write and you know something that I've always wanted to do is write and that I never seem to like be able to muster up the will to get started because I know that I have a finite amount of leisure time. Um, I would like to write. I would like to read more books than I do now. I would like to produce something that I think that other people would find interesting and worthwhile. And I feel as though that I don't have the ability to do that right now. So in my mind, what leisure time is, is the ability to pursue intellectual um efforts that i am otherwise you know i don't have the energy or the time to do and um you know i know that's not universal for everyone but i think that i that that's what i would do and that's what leisure time is to me and yeah. i think that is it's very similar to leisure time for the you know the petty bourgeoisie and sort of intelligentsia of uh the the early modern period
3: yeah so i feel like last time i spent a lot of time um qualifying a lot of my opinions and a lot of what I, I feel and think because I mean uh, out of an earnest recognition that like I don't I don't understand science the best in general, but also I don't want, I never want to rule out that I lack the imagination to like consider a number of factors, right? And, of course, I am a bit of a Luddite, perhaps. Um, so, you know, it, it's I don't I don't want to project my own desires on to the whole of the working class. Right. At the same time, I think the more that this has sat with me, the more that I don't entirely think that it's a lack of imagination on my part, but that it is a lack of imagination on a lot of other people's parts to think that. In under communism, we will still want to, like, numb ourselves in the way that we have to in our leisure time now. Um, So I consider, you know, things like the fact that my labor, the the work that I'm paid to do, is work that I I love. And though the conditions in which I perform my labor are really um, soul-sucking and exhausting mentally and physically, emotionally, in, in every single capacity... Um, you know, still what I want to, what I want to do when I get home is be around other people. But since I spend so much of my labor being surrounded by people, um, and being stimulated constantly, by the time I'm home, I have to recharge by myself, um, to be able to be in spaces. And, um, that's, a that's, you know, as everyone here knows, uh, a product of this shitty system. It doesn't change the things that I desire to do with my leisure time, um, in terms of like going for walks and spending time with the people I, I adore most. Um, so yeah, I I think that that's been really interesting, um, to try to grapple with. And I think I've started to kind of (laughs) forgive myself for being, um, such a Luddite and, you know, not lacking or not being imaginative enough in that regard.
1: I have a couple of things to say here. And the first one is I think we should, um, the first thing is I think we should defend or we should be comfortable with being Luddites or whatever. Like that Luddite, right. Luddite as an insult is kind of funny um, as, as, as a joke, right? But I think that, you know, I said last time that the Luddites weren't wrong to recognize the machine as a threat to their um, way of life, right? And to, uh, you know, to use it as a catch-all term for a, a person who's suspicious of and maybe even hostile to, to, to new technologies is, I think it's okay. As long as we recognize that what, what we're rooting that in is a recognition of what technology is under the rule of capital. So, like, yeah, I'm a Luddite, whatever. It's fine. Um, more importantly, though, I have a hard time with this question because I... Um, I immediately want to think about a redefinition of like our leisure time. So like, I know what we're talking about is leisure time now and leisure time under, under the, the fully automated society, which is the one that I think the implication there is it's the one that doesn't fundamentally challenge how we think of our lives. Right. So what we're talking about is leisure time. And I think that there is a, there is a, a bit of a, stress between leisure time and a broader conception of like free time because leisure time is our free time under a time when we don't have rest right so you know the old eight hour day slogan eight hours for work eight hours for sleep eight hours for what we will um that's our time to rest recuperate do every other thing in our lives and including enjoying ourselves so like under this society or a modified version of this society with more leisure, um, yeah, we would probably relax more. And I think my answer in that regard is probably not a whole lot different. It would be I would find more space to do the things that I want to do now. But I right. think, but I think that um, this is so. This is one of the places where I think that the situation is a critique of everyday life really actually matters a lot because I think we have to we have to think of ourselves in a sort of dual role. Of like ex- occupying the world we live in now, and trying to bring forth, call forth the world we want to live in in the future. R- recognizing we can't prefigure it, but that we can't wait for it to fully form either. So that our actions actually like precipitate and lay the groundwork for um, the the emancipatory road that we're trying to walk down. So like free time as opposed to just leisure time, I think is a space that can expand more and more. And if we use that as a space to really determine what it is that we are about as individuals, um, where we learn to liberate desire and push the boundaries of what is considered, you know, acceptable activity in terms of, you know, how you, how you spend your time. I think that that's actually a very worthwhile and necessary project for the emancipation of, of human beings. So um, it leads to this, this leads in a way to my criticism, um, my, my fundamental criticism of the fully automated luxury communist thesis, which is that it's like, we need more leisure rather than that. We need to break down barriers of alienation that we need to liberate desire that we need to learn how to be more fully human. And I think that that, what that should probably mean is uncovering realms of experience that are, have been hitherto closed off to us, or closed off to all but the most um, audacious individuals, and typically those are people with a safety net to fall into. Those typically, like the people who live adventurous lives, are typically are the people who um, won't don't stand to lose a lot, either because they have nothing to lose or because they have all the protections in the world. If if what we're really talking about, you know, the goal of communism is being freeing people. It's not just making people more comfortable, right? It's actually in some ways making people more challenged to really learn who they are. And I think that that's a project for now, just as much as it is the goal of the future. Um,
2: when I've had this conversation with other people, I think a lot of people who are sympathetic to the um, fully automated perspective um, see like convenience as being married to liberatory lifestyle that, you know, that the convenience of having our needs met allows us to be free and to live our lives. And, um, you know, kind of like what Jenny said, I I sort of think that that is the unimaginative perspective, because I, I think that we have this desire for this heavy desire for convenience now and to have things automated and to have things done for us and to have our thoughts and opinions made up for us by the algorithms because we find life inconvenient under capitalism because life is fucking inconvenient under capitalism (laughs) um but that capitalism removed it, it removes that necessity for convenience too because you're able to enjoy life and that leisure time doesn't have to be separate from work time because work doesn't have to be miserable. You can do work that you can enjoy. You can work for the period of time that suits you and then do something else for a little while, a different kind of work. And you don't have to call it work because it doesn't have to be bad. Um, And I think that's really like what I was trying to get at with my question um, was just like, you know, I think that what we think of as leisure will change because it's not this separate thing that you do after work, when you come home, it's just a part of your life. Um, And like doing things that you enjoy and like being a part of your community and interacting with your friends and your neighbors is just something that you do throughout the day, every day. It's not a separate activity.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: In the other episode, Kevin goes on this thing about shoes and how he doesn't need to (laughs) I don't know that shoes can be automated but and you know by automating his shoes being made there's more time for creativity but like being a cobbler is a craft making bespoke handmade shoes that can last a lifetime is a as a craft that should be like revered and respected and outside you know removed from a life of excess and mass-produced shoes that need to be replaced every year you can have someone who spends a long time making a very nice pair of shoes that can be repaired over time and don't need to be replaced and are sustainable and also somebody is engaging in their craft and doing what they I don't know may do in their leisure time otherwise if they had to work in a cubicle under capitalism and Now they're able to, but with full automation, it, to me, full automation removes the, um, space for creativity because it eliminates the need for creativity in so many aspects of life. I like, I have a hard time understanding what, what, what is the purpose of creativity under full automation? I think it sounds fucking bleak. Um, and just at the risk of that um,
3: sounding like a, a, a bad faith attack against Kevin and automating shoe production, right, because that is such a specific example, let's, let's look at that through the lens of a different good, right? So like jelly or like bread, Or am I only thinking of food? I'm very hungry. Um,
0: I was also thinking about bread.
3: Or exactly, furniture. I mean, anything that you consider. And so I know that people can still be creative and you can automate like mass production, right? But do we really, are we really fighting for a future society that continues mass production? So, um, yeah, I I think that Annalise's argument, we can transfer it. Um, and follow that logic to a number of other things, again, just at the risk of being like, oh, that's just shoes, you know, Um, you know, it's, it's all things that they're, they can and should be creative.
0: Well, I think that the mass production is going to be, you know, essential for certain things. I mean, sure. we've got a, we got a gigantic population. There's no way we're ever going to get away from mass production unless a lot of them die off, which is what would be necessary for you know, primitivism to be successful. So let's, uh let's hope we don't ever get a chance to see whether or not primitivism will be successful.
3: Sure. But mass production should, shouldn't be of things that are going to last and stay on the planet for a long time. Like mass product, we should be mass producing things that are consumable.
0: Like toothpaste. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um But I was just thinking about uh, when you mentioned, when you mentioned bread, I was thinking about cooking as a, uh, as something that people actually really enjoy doing something cathartic, something creative. Um, I like taking Czech dishes and making vegan versions of them. And, uh, I think it, it would be nowhere near as fulfilling to just press the button on the machine. So, cause like the, over the, over the Christmas break, I made a Czech Christmas bread and I like, you know, it was amazing. And I served it, I was very proud of it. And I took it and like served it to my family and they didn't even notice it was vegan. Um, so I was like, I was very, very happy uh, about that. And I was thinking about talking about full automation, the way that Star Trek replicators are, are like the, what everyone points to be like, wouldn't it be great to just like, say you want a martini or say you want a hamburger and the replicator makes it. And I'm just like, no, that would fucking suck. That would suck so bad. Uh, I just like could not imagine the, uh, being as fulfilled by something that I've, conceived of and created with my hands being just conjured out of thin air. I'm not and I'm not even saying that's like possible. I'm just saying that's what a lot of people are holding up as an ideal type that I think is terrible and would suck.
1: I mean this is a this is a discussion I've had with a friend recently, um somewhat disconnected from the uh the theme of automation. But right. it's just about um monolithism in uh, in ensuring the ability to meet demand of a given thing uh, so in my nightmare version of it it's taking a cross country road trip and every single town I stop in there's the same coffee chain or the same burger chain or whatever and like under this society that's a convenience I don't have to scout ahead to find a place that's off the road trip and lose time or whatever um, if I'm pressed for time but it also it's it also obliterates all communal distinctions, anything that gives variation and, and flavor in life. Um, and whenever I hear somebody talking about like a replicator machine that can produce the perfect version of whatever thing, let's call it like a traditional meal or whatever, it um to me that like ignores the reality of what traditional cooking is, which is that it's variable by season or by household, so that you know like. Uh, like a gumbo is different from family to family because the recipes are slightly altered. And so like, you know, this friend said, that's a fairly reactionary way of thinking. It's like, it's it's a romantic reactionary way of thinking about things. Like he said, I'm talking about meeting all human needs and you're talking about preserving variation, you know, which is to say like parochial localism. Um. So he said a, a contrast, which I think that is... Uh, I think it's real, and I think it's the it's the tension that exists between the desires of industrialization and the scientific revolution and the romanticism that reacted to it. And I think we've recognized that in our discussions as being mm-hmm. central to who we are uh, politically. Um, and so I don't want to paper over that. I I don't even have an answer to it. I just want to acknowledge that that same contradiction exists in this discussion and really in every discussion. Like. The division of labor and overcoming mental and manual labor, the division of life between labor and play, or between work and leisure, like, the resolution of these contradictions is very, it's very unclear. Like, it's not apparent, like, there's the, the right way to do it. So the only thing that I'm really convinced of is that um, we should recognize that human beings are complicated and complex. And so anything that that comes from a place of wanting to to flatten differences and distinctions seems to me to be run counter to and seems to be antithetical to something something that is at our core that makes us human
2: um yeah i mean i think that under full automation where every you know every gumbo as an example tastes the same but every you know all buildings look very similar because they're automated in the way that they're designed all cities look similar all you know uh, places to eat look similar um there there is no re-enchantment of the world there is no um ex- exploration there is no adventure to exist because why go anywhere when everywhere looks the same and maybe that's not some people's idea of what full automation would look like i guess but again i i I don't understand how it could be different because that's what automation is to me, is every city with super highways built with self-driving solar-powered Uber cars and everybody, you know, not needing to walk anywhere because why walk whenever... There's an automated way to get somewhere. Why engage with your surroundings? Why mm-hmm. go outside when there's no reason to go outside anymore? Um,
0: That's the logical extreme, and it's worth expounding. It's worth thinking about. Yeah, you know?
1: yeah. Well, I want to. Sorry, I want to add a caveat too, which is that like I recognize that a lot of what I'm saying is similar in tone, at least superficially, to a lot of the criticisms of communism by advocates of the free market yeah. and they'll point to like uh the warsaw. supermarket in cuba yeah well they'll point to a city like warsaw with its apartment blocks mm-hmm. that row after row are identical because they're all prefab and they're just thrown together really quick uh or or a lot of cities in the former soviet union that as well and um i mean the rejoinder to that is fairly simple which is like after the second world war they solved the, the mass homelessness problem by rapidly throwing up places for people to live. And I, I think that that's called a necessity. So to try to make a that's virtue- That's such a of, bad faith critique. It is, exactly. and that's, yeah. that's why I wanted to make it a point. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm not being misunderstood. When we're talking about necessity, I'm an, I, I'm an advocate of meeting the needs of people, period. Right. But I think making but, a virtue of that necessity- by saying look we've prefabricated the style of place to live we never have to design another thing all we have to do is automate that that's the thing that that's the concern i have is that that criticism of communism could however ludicrous it actually sounds could become true or that we could make it we could adopt it as our own and turn that into a a, a virtue rather than recognizing it as a as a as a necessity born of hardship to be overcome
0: that um that conversation that that you just mentioned or that I actually had that conversation and that, that exa- the specific example was used. Well, look at Warsaw, you know, and it's like, have you ever been to Warsaw? I was like, no, but I've been to Krakow, which isn't like that because it wasn't destroyed by the Nazis. And, you know, I mean, it's just like, if you look at the, the new construction in places like Hungary and Prague, you know, like in uh, Budapest and Prague, they start like becoming creative and, building in styles that they think are suited to their vision of what the communist horizon looks like. And uh, I think that there's brilliant examples. I mean, even given the limitations of Eastern Bloc, uh, actually existing socialism, there are brilliant examples of what people could conceive of and what people would project into the future, the the things that they would come up with. I mean, even the Soviet Union, as, as bleak as the Stalin era was, just look at Moscow University, you know. Yeah, those are bad faith critiques, and fuck people that make them. Sorry. Well, sure.
3: I'm going to talk about food more because um, it's my love language, and because I think also I'm um, in a broader conversation about culture and how we um, preserve and um, you know all, all that. Mexican
0: food will be Taco Bell <laughs> under full automation.
3: I don't. I'm uncomfortable um okay so um i i specifically brought up like the photos of like supermarkets in cuba as an example of a a bad faith critique but b of like the goods that automate automation can bring and ha- how desirable that supermarket is um because you can, the, hu- the
0: husband proof. I was about to say because you you can
3: send your partner and know <laughs> that they're coming back with garbanzo beans, and then that's the beauty of it, right? Is that like everyone has a right to these raw materials, and what makes it unique and what makes what you do with them creative is how you prepare the garbanzo bean. I don't know why I picked that specific um, example, but you know, and and that's what's exciting to me is like watching. Um, and tasting what people can do with the same um, things, making the same dishes. And um, man, I just, everyone needs access to Cuban supermarkets.
0: You know, so- someone made that joke that, that, it's like, don't tempt me with this husband-proofed <laughs> supermarket. And uh, like, I-, I super identify with that because anytime I get a list, anytime my wife gives me a list of things that I get from the super, to get from the supermarket, um, I call her constantly and be like, What the fuck is this? I don't know where this is. Is this the right one? You know, I FaceTime her and I like show her the shelves and she's like, no, it's not that one. Anyway, so like I I would love that fucking supermarket. I think it would be great.
2: Yeah, I think we have a lot of stuff um, available to us at all times that um, I don't think is a necessity. (laughs) Um, I don't think that grocery stores need to be packed to the gills the way they are here now. I love the illusion of choice. Um, right. And like millions of pounds of food that go bad every year that, so we we can have all apples that are shiny and perfect available in the grocery store. Uh, Um, and like, I just want to make the, trying to make the point that like, um, like the Cuban grocery store, I think, and, you know, a lot of what we're saying about like, there is no, the lack of necessity for this convenience and excess and luxury um that people like about fully automated luxury communism um is like there are some things that we won't have <laughs> um right that like communism doesn't shouldn't just mean all of the things we have now but now it's not exploited <laughs> because uh, and now it's free um because it's not possible um And maybe some of it, if we could have the robots do everything. Sure. Um, like, but there, there are some things that as great as Falk sounds, like there are some things about communism that may not sound great because we are so used to the conveniences that some aspects of capitalism provide us. And, um, Mm. like that's, I don't see
0: a place for jewel pods under (laughs) communism. Um, sorry. (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's something to grapple with. <laughs> like, it really been, is. Um, <laughs> there there's some things that cannot be sloganeered and um some things that sound make great slogans that aren't doable.
1: Right. Well, like so the um there's that Roar Mag article, yet another kind of it it's it's a sort of another uh review of the Bastani book. And one of the things that really stuck out to me, I think there there are two different ways that is brought up, but to me they're the same uh they're a lot of the same critique. The author refers to the emotional failure of the of the of the fully automated luxury communist thesis. Mm-hmm. And they he refers to um, <clears> the <throat> sort of uh, socialism without sacrifice vision, like in terms of the way that we travel, the way that we eat, the way that we find enjoyment. You know, and like, so just thinking about, you know, just connecting these two discussions about, you know, like food and regional variety and seasonal variety and, and also like leisure and luxury. Um. I, I mean, I think... I think it's okay to say that, like, if you live in England and you really want to make sushi, you might have to make it with, I don't know what the hell fish you can fish in England, cod, you know, as opposed to whatever you have to buy from a company that presently would ship uh, fish that you catch off the coast of Japan over to England so that you can have the authentic experience, right? Because that's a vision of the world that the capitalists brought us that is unsustainable. It's actually ludicrous. Um, and I think it's okay for us to say some things we might have to sacrifice. And really, if your vision, if, if your notion of sacrifice is that you don't just get permanent access to whatever naturally exists off the coast of a country on the other side of the world, then you probably need to start sacrificing some things, harden yourself for life a little bit, because it's way worse than that sometimes.
0: And um, one of the things that I was, I-, I meant to take issue with that you were talking about the idea that um The vision of fully automated communism, luxury communism, is one of uh, fulfilling the needs of every last human being on Earth as opposed to your sort of reactionary, uh, parochial, maintaining the variations of uh, cuisine locally or whatever. And I don't think that there needs to be a a dichotomy between the two of those. You know, we can fulfill the needs of every last person on Earth without destroying the humanity of food and culture you know the things that the things that things that make everything we know distinctly what they are the human element added into them that that make them uh the adjec they give them the adjectives that make them what they are as opposed to just being sustenance you know like gray mass of sustenance you know what i mean yeah uh, i think i'm having a hard time putting what i'm trying to say into words I, I don't think that there is a real dichotomy between trying to maintain trying to retain a human element in the things that we create uh and fulfilling the needs of everyone on earth and in fact i think that that's something that we have to strive towards we can't have one at the expense of the other it's something that we have to try to marry
2: yeah, I think it's possible, and like, like what Janice said that like the about like the Cuban grocery store, and that the creativity comes from how you prepare your meal, how you put the ingredients together. Um, that we can, you don't need to have bananas in available in Maine in December, but that doesn't mean that food has to be boring. It doesn't mean that you only have one thing that you can eat. Like there can still be like variety to life, life can still be interesting, and it should be. Um, I think it's a necessity, which is <laughs> my my big problem with full automation is that I think automation, I, I don't think it's realistic to say that automation means that we will have everything we have now, only it will be communist. Um, but I think automation removes so, so much of that humanity from from everything there is there is no human element to what is automated, that is you have remu- removed removed a humanity by automating it, and by doing so you've made it gray and
1: dull so the the other part of the emotional failure of uh a, of a socialism without sacrifice to me is it it really does at least it makes me wonder about what people are thinking of in terms of the process of social transformation itself. Like if we're envisioning a, a the birth of a new world without sacrifice, then how are we envisioning our role in birthing that new world, um, going up against the powers of the old world? Like to me, it just if nothing else, we're talking about not preparing ourselves for for you know not a singular confrontation, like a single game where you win the game and now it's that's now it's over, right? a socialism without sacrifice seems to me to really only produce socialists not prepared to sacrifice and that's not just like an uh an ethical question for a future society it's also it's a very practical question for the people involved in its construction like what what are we proposing that people do other than other than throw their bodies against the the gears and levers of the machine right like socialism is about sacrifice in in anticipation of a world worth living in so i just i think i said this on the last episode and so maybe this is a you know, maybe i'm just hammering on this too hard but to me it's just i don't see this as a as laying a lot of very solid groundwork f- uh, for for people to stand on and preparing for a, a fight against the most monstrous system in the world that is certainly prepared to sacrifice you yeah. for its for its perpetual uh for its perpetuation so what are you prepared to sacrifice in yourself in order to stop it
2: well according to bastani we don't have to we just vote
1: yeah see like and, and i've read <laughs> see i've read uh reviews and criticisms of bastani's vision that like at the end it says it doesn't really propose much of a way forward and i always kind of thought like that's not a very strong criticism because he's trying to write about um you know it's not supposed to be like a catch-all manifesto for everything but in a way it sort of is isn't it like maybe it's not conscious but it does seem worth pointing out like you just did that the the people advocating for a socialism without sacrifice also tend to be also advocating for a approach to politics which is fairly safe fairly painless slow transition and and it actually happens to map on pretty conveniently and, and seamlessly with the kind of uh, imperceptible reform approach to socialism that happens to be in vogue right now. So like, you know, I, I do celebrate the return of socialism as a mass phenomenon. But our, our goal really ought to be to ruthlessly critique everything that exists. And that would definitely include like comfortable approaches to like, you know, today's mainstream politics plus a vision of the world without bosses one day.
3: So this is something I've been really struggling with. I don't know if this exactly fits fits into what you're saying, but I guess we'll find out. I think what really troubles me is the way in which a lot of us have begun approaching organizing and the ways in which um, we see that transferring over into perhaps a revolutionary period or also into a communist society, right? In which we have this um what I actually believe to be ableist perception of people who are able to contribute something to the struggle, to this podcast. Just kidding. I'm sorry, Kevin. Um to um the world, right? Um, and I, I actually happen to be of the opinion that in whatever capacity, for better or worse, everyone has something to contribute and we have something to learn from one another, right? Um, and so that is not to say that there will not be days in which people cannot participate in the struggle, right um, and there won't be periods of time in which people have their ebbs and flows. But it is to say and I know I've I've spoken to this on on other episodes that that I do believe that that people have something to give to transforming society um and that also means that, in a future socialist society people will have something to give also and so i i really take issue with the language around the abolition of work and i know i talked about this last time too but but i really would like to explore this more and i think there's a lot that we left untouched for the the sake of time but this idea that be fully full automation will make it so that you know we we now have the abolition of work right and of course as we recognized in the last episode work is terrible under these conditions and but without using that language right everyone has something to give we all have things to learn from one another um and i i kind of love that and i kind of hate the idea of not feeling like And again, I'm trying not to project my own desires for a future society, but we're talking about our opinions. Um, The idea of not giving something to the planet, of not giving something to the people I love, to the people I'm in community with um, in this society or in future ones, um, really weighs on me, like very heavy, heavily.
2: Yeah, I think um, like productivity – in whatever sense and productivity of whatever is fulfilling for you is something that is innate and something that is essential to the human experience. Um, And I think that like a bad faith perspective on a fully analog communism is that it is anti-progress by being anti-technology. But To me, a fully automated society is one that if any if one or the other, if there is one, that would be the one that is anti progress, because there's you've eliminated the need for progress, you've eliminated the need for productivity, it is a, an endpoint, I think, right? I mean, yes, we can develop better technology and faster technology and automate more things. But not everybody is going to be the IT person who's able who's doing that and for the rest of us there there is no work there is no you know I said there's no to me no need for creativity but if there's a, any like way that you know progress and pre- productivity is being slowed it would be under full automation
0: I've I've used this example a couple of a couple of times before um that the roman empire under the slave system right they um there was a uh, technological advancements were stymied by the fact that there was a gigantic labor pool uh that was so cheap and e- easily exploited and uh they essentially just sat in um in stasis for until necessity like you know barbarian invasions and the breakdown of the whole system caused innovations to need to start happening again, and I feel like that using using the um, this idea that you have an idle class that just sits there and does what you know I guess in in the, the in the Roman Empire it uh, debated in the Senate and um, just got up to general debauchery on a regular basis. You know, I mean, if that's like what your version of a, a desirable society looks like, you know, where you don't have to work, you have all of your everything taken care of, you'd be like some sort of uh, uh, Roman uh, patrician, right? You've got everything that you ever needed taken care of by automation. Uh, the, all all of your slaves are replaced by robots, whatever. And then you can sit around and gorge yourself and vomit into in the vomitorium and, uh, you know, uh, stab each other on the floor of the Senate. That that to me is <laughs> what is called to mind when I think of uh, what, what kind of society would exist under full automation. And I know this is going to sound totally reactionary, um, but so be it. Uh, it is these labors of ours that make us human um, and that people that exist without the necessity of laboring at all, without the necessity of creating or uh, contributing of anything of value be it uh, intellectually or you know with your hands it's it's a pointless existence you know i mean i think that are we trying to just create an idle bourgeoisie of everyone you know is that the vision of the future because that's what fully automated luxury communism seems like to me is that we everyone gets to be idle bourgeoisie
2: um, But, you know, we talked about post-work and what it would mean to not have to work, and I think that my, my vision of the future and of communism and, like, what it would mean to eliminate, like, exploitative labor would mean, yeah, just that we don't, you cannot call it work anymore, but what you do is work, and what is creative is, under capitalism, work. Being an artist is work, being someone, being a seamstress is work, being a cobbler is work, being a baker is work. And those things don't have to be work, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do them anymore. It doesn't mean that those are things that need to go away or that would be good if they went away. They're a a part of life. It's a part of what is fulfilling and makes you feel whole is to contribute and to you know, do something for your community in whatever way that is that you want to contribute and you're able to contribute. (laughs) Um, The next thing I wrote down to talk about, I just wrote in quotes, automating the gross parts um <laughs> and oh this
0: is this is a hill i'm gonna die on so gonna
2: and there's kind you. of there's kind of two parts to this for me i wanted to talk specifically about healthcare again um and the way you guys talked about automating the gross parts of that and then i also wanted to talk about like um eliminating jobs that can't be non-exploitative and if they're things that should just go away or if they're things that should be automated. And if that's good, Um, we kind of talked about that already. And, you know, talked about the sort of horror dystopia of the same coffee shops existing in every town. And that being the only place to get coffee. And
0: um, there are certain, I don't want to live in a world where blue bottle coffees are the only one that exists. (laughs)
2: Um, And I, I think that, you know, there are some jobs like, like fast food work that I think can't be non-exploitative. I think they need to just go away. And you know, being a barista, like I already said about so many other things, is is a craft and is something that people do enjoy doing. Um, but it would mean coffee coffee houses being less available. Um and so I guess we can talk about that first and what you guys might have to say about like eliminating jobs. Um, and, you know, eliminating the gross jobs and what it means to automate them versus just not have those things anymore.
0: Well, when it comes to to jobs that are, like, gross but necessary, like, um, somebody's got to go down into sewers and clean out blockages when that happens. And uh, I definitely think those would be okay, jobs like that would be okay to, to automate, you know. Um, and... Uh, I think that, like, there might be a certain amount of work that does just go away. Like, I think that fast food is necessary because it is necessary to get food quickly because we don't have time to enjoy meals under capitalism. So we settle for eating disgusting shit that's horrible for us on the go. I think that doing away with fast food altogether is a desirable thing. Like, yeah, we like our hamburgers now or whatever, and french fries are delicious, but, you know, maybe we have fucking, you know, actual good food instead that's available. Because we don't have a a society where we're pressed to have to settle for disgusting garbage that's going to kill us, right? Yeah, I think the fast food goes away. I don't think it doesn't exist anymore. I think that um, people are still going to want to go to restaurants, you know? And... I think that that we've got a ready made answer for this in the Soviet system. you know they had communal kitchens where you know there there are people in there doing work and uh cooking food and stuff like that, but all the waiting on is done away with you know you bust your own food, you go pick up your own food from the window of the restaurant and that that's a way to sort- i mean because being a server is an incredibly degrading experience. I've been one it's fucking terrible. it's one of the worst jobs I've ever had. And uh, I don't think that anyone needs to be waited on. So I think that those kind of jobs can be done away with, you know, or maybe a robot brings you your fucking tray. I don't know. (laughs) Sure. Automate that. I don't give a fuck. Um, But like, maybe, maybe we don't need to be served. Maybe that's a luxury that doesn't need to exist. You know, maybe we, maybe getting your own damned food is a, uh, a virtue, And that the idea that you need someone to do something for you just needs to not exist at all because you have no rights to have someone do something for you. You know? Unless you need them to, like a healthcare worker would, you know, bring you your food. I understand that, you know.
1: I don't feel like I have a whole lot to contribute here. I I feel like I agree with the basic proposition about our priorities and availability of, like, cheap, time-efficient food and whatever else that certainly has to go away as the social demand, you know, as the material conditions which give rise to that social demand disappear. I guess, when I think about automating the the gross parts of work, I feel like I remember that came up... Um,
0: I was specifically talking about wiping butts. Right, like, I feel like that as came a up... a healthcare worker. It
1: came up within the context of, of human care. And at the time... I just I thought about how like oh I don't want to do that so yeah we'll automate that but since then I've I've thought a lot about how you do want to do that the human <laughs> the human connection that comes in the form of of care and again I I come back to this question of alienation and what what do we really think of uh hu- care of other human beings to really be and if uh I don't know I think that's that's a question for um, the person employed in healthcare and in and in care of human beings generally is like. What what do you think about like the de- the 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 detached nature of of that of that kind of work, especially an automated form of it, um, when it comes to how human beings relate to each other?
2: I actually thought, Chris, what you said was really good about like just doing things for yours, you know, that you don't need someone to do things for you. Um, and that we should do things for ourselves that we can. Um, and, you know, wait on yourself, you don't need a server. Um, and even, you know, I actually don't think having a robot server would be a good solution, because it eliminates that human connection, even just, In a restaurant, um, not that I think having servers is good. Um, I mean, getting your own food is good. But that by, you know, introducing a robot as a go-between between between the people that cook and the people who eat is, like, deeply alienated to me. To have a robot that brings you everything rather than interacting with other humans is deeply alienated. Um, And, you know, healthcare, too, I think... Um, and the last episode, you guys talked about, you know, uh, aspects of the human experience that cannot be automated. And, you know, we already, we talked about creativity too already today. Um, but I think another aspect of being human that can't be automated is empathy and Mm that in a job like healthcare, even the gross parts, I don't think you can automate. Um, I think you lose so much, you know, there's no dignified way to have a fucking robot wipe your ass whenever you're so sick you can't do it yourself. Uh, um, even when it's gross, even when no one wants to do it, if we care about each other and we're connected to each other, it's about doing something for a member of your community whose well-being you care about, uh, um, even even though it sucks and no one wants to do it. Uh, um, and. Uh, I wanted to talk about healthcare. Maybe this is sort of tangential, I guess, and not super specific to this conversation about automation versus analog, but um just about like my vision of healthcare for the future is one that like not only is not an exploitative work environment for nurses where doing the gross parts don't have to suck so much because you're not overworked and underpaid and spending all day being verbally emotionally and physically abused by your patients and your higher-ups um but about like decentralizing healthcare. um that to me in a different society one that is less alienated and one in which we care about each other and have the time to care about each other um less people go to hospitals people when people are elderly and they can't take care of themselves they have a community that takes care of them because we're invested in our elderly because we care about them because they're our family and they're our neighbors they're not you know a problem to send away for someone else to take care of Uh, um and like no hate to anyone who puts their family in a nursing home we don't fucking have time to take care of our family members because we have to work piece of shit jobs that if we don't go to, we don't get paid and then we can't have our needs met. Um, So I think that's a big part of like, I don't think you can automate those gross parts, but I think we can um, share the burden (laughs) and lighten the burden by, it, it doesn't have to be such a burden and it doesn't have to be just one person's job. Just like it doesn't have to be one person's job to bring food to everyone in the restaurant. It doesn't have to be one person's job to wipe everyone's ass when they get old because they can't do it for themselves um
1: i also think it should be one person's job to do all that stuff <laughs>
2: i also think in a, and it's
1: every former capitalist
2: in a even slightly planned society we have a much larger investment in primary health care and then we have less sick people in general but also a different mm. conversation <laughs>
3: Um, I think it's also worth noting um, because we didn't in this conversation that Annalise is a nurse. Um, And if you were a Patreon subscriber, you'd know that from the witch episode. Which episode. (laughs) Boo. Very clever. Yeah, well, okay. So, but I also think it's worth noting like while we're imagining a future society that like, right, it's not just the elderly. It's not just um, babies who need not just ass wiping but like to be tended to and care, right? It's also folks um, with disabilities and oftentimes those disabilities not always um, but are a product of working in a shitty system in which we are pumping out productivity and people are working in incredibly unsafe work environments, whether that's immediate or like long term Um, you know Injuries that they've acquired or disabilities that, you know, they've developed. I, you know, I, th- I think it's worth recognizing those things. So just, to, just as people will hopefully be less sick in a society in which we are able to have preventative healthcare, um, and not just go to the ER when, you know, we're willing to get a twenty-seven thousand dollar bill that we're not going to pay. Um, you know, hopefully you know, people are also not doing overwhelmingly dangerous jobs and maybe we can automate those and have fewer people, um, you know, who are putting themselves and their bodies at risk um, and then therefore needing people to wipe their ass or whatever else.
2: Um, Yeah, I certainly don't think of my patience is just asses to wipe, just the sure. the record, which is sort of my whole, the whole thing I was saying about empathy and like treating people as human beings of course, and caring for each other. Um, I just, I wanted to make sure to talk about it because I, we, you know, mentioned we want to talk about different ideas about what the future may look like in this episode, but also that I just, it's something that's important to me, obviously, because of my job. And I don't think it's something that on the left, we really talk about, I think we talk a lot about how to take care of children and, you know, the, um, commute that it should be a community commitment to taking care of children. And I think that that's a obvious solution to so many people and something that's like, cool, we've figured that out. Let's check it off. Um, and that healthcare for whatever reason doesn't have that isn't addressed the same way. Um, at least as far as taking care of, Um, disabled and elderly people Um, so I just wanted to be sure and at least put it out there even if we didn't have too much to say about it